Welcome to Godsplaining, contemplative preachers, contemporary age. Each week, join the Dominican friars as they consider all things Catholic. Hello, friends, and welcome back to Godsplaining. This is Father Patrick Mary Briscoe, and I'm joined today by the great, the one, the only, Father Bonaventure Chapman. How are you, Father Bonaventure? I'm doing great. There is only one of me, I suppose. That's how hexaities work. Um, so persons, there's only one. Uh, but I'm glad to be the only one. It would be weird if there was more than me, I suppose. Um, so I'm glad the multiverses aren't true. I'm glad that time travel isn't true. I'm glad all these things are true. So there's only one. I don't have to keep track of other people that are me. So that's great. And yourself? Uh, you're basically a Tigger. That's what I'm thinking of. Uh, that, that song from Winnie the Pooh where... Tigger is just delighting in the fact that he's the only one. I'm the only one. Well, um, so it's a little egocentric, I suppose. But um... <laughs> so you, your 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 interpretation was certainly more nuanced and intellectual than uh, the bouncy, bouncy, fun, 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 fun song for children that was running through my mind. Uh, but I'm great. I mean, one thing that's interesting about this episode is that um, Father Bonaventure and I live together in the same house, uh, but we are not together for this episode in the same house. Uh, I am preaching a retreat for seminarians here at the San Alfonso Retreat House, uh, which is exciting. Uh, it's the first retreat I've preached to seminarians, um, and no one has left yet, so that's nice. To be <laughs> fair, it's the first day, right? Uh, the, the second day, okay. Oh, okay, all right. Okay. But, but, even, the, but even still, you know, yeah, even that's still. great. We'll, we'll count the days canonically. So, And this is in New Jersey, um, the great state of New Jersey? It is the great state of New Jersey at the San Alfonso Retreat House, so we should be getting paid for this. This is a great commercial, but it's a lovely, re- lovely retreat house. There's a community of redemptorist priests here, and it's on the shores of the ocean, so it's right, right by the seaside. So you get all the oh. all the lovely wind and smells and sounds of the sea. I slept with my window open last night, just listening to the sea. Was this North Jersey or South Jersey? North Jersey. Okay. Yeah. See, my north, my f- north shore. Oh, see, my father is from New Jersey. So, uh, but Cape May down south, and I always when I meet someone from New Jersey, uh, I am always excited to see if anyone's actually from Cape May. I've met one at Providence College. One student was from Cape May, but it's a kind of resort town area, so it's not surprising you don't see too many people from there. So I have a soft spot because, um, dear listeners, as you might know, New Jersey is considered the armpit of America, but that's not true. There's <laughs> I think there's worse states. I think there are. Now, North Jersey, not great. Name them. Name it. No, just kidding. Well, look, I mean, (laughs) Delaware is okay, but what does it have to offer, really? You know? And now, you know, Ohio's growing on me. Ohio's growing on me. But I I guess I'm sure... I'm sure New Jersey is just because of my father, but I've I've always wanted to stick up for Jersey because I don't think it's the worst state in the union. But uh, but if you ask me which one is, I'm not sure I will tell you nor no. I just know there's another one. (laughs) <laughs> There's got to be something worse. I will Maybe say why I don't know. The, the hospitality here is incredible, and uh, I'm enjo- I'm enjoying the time uh, in prayer. But we're not talking about retreats or New Jersey or the worst states in America uh, tonight. Our episode is on the very light, the very easy to access, the very soft and comforting doctrine of purgatory. Now, Father Bonaventure, you are a convert mm. to the Roman Catholic faith, as gets mentioned from time to time on this show. That's correct. I think. Basically, every time you're on, <laughs> this this comes out. It's um, my most distinctive qual- quality. 
Other than my no. high widow's peak, I suppose. But yeah, <laughs> Protestant convert is is the most was, distinct spiritual quality I was of my, say, my existence. I was going to say expert in Immanuel Kant, um, but but okay, we'll go we'll go with we'll go with Protestant. Yeah, the <laughs> fine Protestant, once a Protestant, formerly Protestant, no longer a Protestant, now a Catholic priest, which is that's important, right? right? We're that's in the correct. now as we're as we're present to God in the now. Um, so a- as a Protestant, um, uh, you know, I thought it would be interesting to start here. What, what was your take on the doctrine of purgatory? Was this like just an insane thing that Catholics believed? Um, or did you, or did you, enc- or did you have a more rich, uh, encounter with it? What was your first <laughs> take on purgatory? Yeah, that's a great question. I was thinking about this as we were uh, talking about the episode and, um, you know, I, I hate to say it, but it always seemed right. Um, I think it's because of C.S. Lewis. Uh, you might, people might, uh, listeners might be familiar with C- his mere Christianity, where I mean, C.S. Lewis believes a few, quote unquote, he's Anglo-Catholic, believes a few Catholic things, um, Anglo-Catholic in American terms, not in British terms. Uh, but he believes a bunch of Catholic things, and purgatory is one of them. And in that book, Mere Christianity, which I read early on my in my my evangelical career, uh, you could say, um. He says purgatory just makes the most sense in the world, something because he says, it just seems so natural for me to be praying for my friends who have died. There's just nothing more spont- that I do more spontaneous and naturally. And I think the premise is that your intuitions on this are somehow justifying so that uh, there are some things you might naturally do, but you might reflect on them and say, that's crazy. I shouldn't be doing that. Like I'm, you know, there's no reason for me to keep touching this door handle or what have you, like a, you know, if you have some sort of uh, issue. But with him, he says, it's it's natural. And then I ask myself, why do I do this? And it's still natural. Like it still seems, I can't, it's like, it's the base justification. And that's how I've always, I've always thought purgatory, it, it makes sense, not because um praying for, at least it didn't, it may, that makes sense to me now. But when I was, when I was a Protestant, it just made sense, given total depravity and kind of our sinfulness, that to come into the presence of the all-holy God, uh, if it was to be me there, then I had to take a shower or kind of do some final, you know, mud mud sweeping off things. And it couldn't just be that God looks at me and doesn't see the mud, even though it's there. Like, it had to not be there, you know? And whatever you do with that, that's just purgatory, you know? That's just... so. It's, it always struck me as a very sane thing to believe, and in fact, kind of insane not to believe it, you know? I mean, Calvin's, I think, version of this, he has what soul sleeps, so the soul just kind of goes to sleep until the general resurrection. And that just, I don't know how souls, I mean, how does a soul sleep? I mean, I, I sleep, you know, but my soul sleeps? I don't even understand that. Um so, so anyway, purgatory always, I mean, it just didn't strike me as anything, uh, as, as a problem. It's, it seemed perfectly reasonable. I, I, I find that very comforting to believe because I, I, I'm always questioning whether or not this makes any sense. Uh, as a cradle Catholic and as someone that's basically been always deep in on all the Catholic things, mm-hmm. uh, I, have to, I have to admit that I, d- I don't readily have the most critical sense on this. Uh, I, mm. I often just sort of shrug my shoulders and say, well, yeah, how could it be other than that? Uh, so so I, do, I do appreciate hearing that, that someone could say, yes, well, th- this, is a, this is an intuitive thing. And I especially like the point that, that, that you mentioned because it gives us a great departure point for the episode, which is to say that the, the most important thing for us to know about purgatory is that we are living in relation to this already. 
Because mm-hmm. one thing that is very boring is when you turn on an episode of Catholic Apologetics and you think, okay, these guys are going to talk about some idea, some principle, some doctrine that doesn't that doesn't really impact me, that's very far away from me. But as you say, um, purgatory is in fact very close to us because it involves a kind of natural and spontaneous reaction, something that we do all the time, which is to pray for the dead. Mm-hmm. So purgatory is the uh, taken as a doctrine, is the explanation, a, a kind of flushing out and understanding of why it is that we would do that thing and why 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 our prayers for the dead are important. Our prayers for the dead are more than, for example, simply missing someone. As you say, they really they really change us. That um, what we understand by pur- purgatory is. Uh, a, a purification, a final readiness, like we said, a, a washing, a getting prepared to meet the king, a kind of wrapping up of things that are left untended to in life. I like also that you mentioned C.S. Lewis right at the beginning of this conversation because his book, The Great Divorce, is very interesting on this point. Mm-hmm. Because at purgatory, now you can read that book and, and have difficulty with it because his understanding of purgatory is, is not clear there. And if you, if if I was asked point blank, does C.S. Lewis believe in what the Catholic Church teaches about purgatory? I think I'd have to say I don't. I don't know because I don't think, I don't think it overlaps quite so quite so easily. But in the Great Divorce, you do have the idea that there are certain people that continue uh, in the afterlife, continue to struggle on their way to heaven because they are bound down by things, and the realness of heaven. Um, continues continues to be a horror for them, and they have to be prepared. They have to become more completely who they were made to be in the eyes of God in order to bear the real things of heaven. Um, but I wonder before before we move on, if you wanted to comment mm-hmm. on any any of the ideas in the Great Divorce. That's a big question, a big invitation. Yeah, I mean the Great, you know, it's C.S. Lewis for me is he's, he's got great insights, and he has like individual cool so the. the uh, insights from that book, if I remember correctly, this beautiful thing that sticks in my mind about the grass being hard, the grass being sharp. Like in the af- we think of we think of the afterlife as being less real, as like floating around in ethereal kind of ghost-like bodies or something. But he does a nice job of of like flipping it and saying actually like it's more real. And so the grass on your feet in purgatory or in the afterlife, you could say, in that as he has it. Um, it, it's 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 almost like staining. It's it's grass, and you really keep th- looking down and wondering if it's really grass because grass doesn't like sting you or like touch you. It's it's not this real. And so I love how he flips things around like that. Um, I don't have much to say. He he believes that you can. I mean, he has like bus trips and such that you can you can escape the bad place. You could say I've been watching the Good Place, and so I'm 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 thinking of bad place, good place terms. <laughs> he thinks. He thinks you can like escape. You you can swap places. Whereas the Catholic doctrine, of course, in a sense, purgatory is like you made it. Great job, well done. Now before we go into the real deal, kind of thing. So like no one, you know, just in case there's someone, as you know, purgatory is like you you made it, but you know you got a little more work to do. Um, but you're you're good. We're not going to reject you. You're not going to fail. Like this is it's good to go. You your thumbs up. You're on the right. You're on the right track, and you can't lose from that. Um, so he has his is a little more flexible, although. To be honest, you know, C.S. Lewis, we, we probably shouldn't read too much dogmatics into his kind of fictional accounts, yeah. you could say. That's probably that's probably fair. I think he's, yeah, that's that's all I got. I like the, I like the idea of purgatory as a, as, a kind of, as a kind of getting ready. So one of the things that has really resonated with me lately as a young man, as a young priest, a lot of my peers, my sisters, and their friends are still getting married. 
And mm-hmm. uh, when you go to a wedding today in America, especially it seems, although I presume oh, everywhere else in the world it's the same because these these cultural things seem to transcend uh, divisions of nations. But um, there is lots of getting ready for weddings. Like for me, a nearly intolerable amount of getting ready, <laughs> getting mm-hmm. ready, to the point where I just say to my family, "All right, I'll see you at the church." Uh, you know, I am not going along with all of the getting ready that is a, that is about to happen in these things. Um, this this happened to me just recently at my cousin's wedding, which was a phenomenal wedding, but there was a lot of getting ready, and I was just not going to have anything to do with it. So I think one way we might think of purgatory as a kind of getting ready for the wedding, uh, because it's clearly not the wedding. It's not the thing you came there to do, right? Um, it's a it's a still preparation, but you know that you're in the right place. Like if you've arrived, you're at the hotel, you you, ha- you have all of your clothes, you have things ready. Like you know you're go you're going to make it to the wedding. It's not like you're stuck in the airport. It's not like you missed your flight. You're you're, you're well on the way. Uh, what do you yeah. think about that? Is that well, an and you, and you have I mean you have the I like the wedding the wedding analogy is good because in a sense you're on the guest list, you know. You might not yeah, be the best right? man, for instance. That's St. Peter or what have you. But you're on the list. Uh, you've turned in your, you know, you, the, the meal's picked out. You know, you chose salmon or whatever it is. Like, you're, you're good. You have a seat <laughs> there, but you're not there. And I think that getting ready is, is, is the right thing because if someone said, you know, just come to the wedding and you say, okay, well, I've got to get my tux or I've got to get my dress. I've got to make sure I do my hair. I've got to make sure I look presentable because this is an important occasion for this. And we don't even think otherwise. We never say like, oh, I wish I could just kind of wear jeans and a T-shirt and not shower before. Like, I hope no one thinks this. It's just something now how dressed up you get. But there's a sense of the wedding garment, right? And there's even this is the, a biblical passage in the, one of the parables that, that Christ has man showing up on the wedding garment. Um, there's a sense in which it would be wrong for you if someone said, oh, don't worry. You know, I know you're, I know you're running a little bit late. And um, so you don't have to actually put on any special clothes. You can just come in jeans and a t-shirt and be, you would feel awkward. You would, I think you would feel uncomfortable. You would feel like you'd done something wrong or you'd, you've kind of cheated a system. There'd be some kind of lack of decorum in a strong sense, not just a convention, but like a rightness to it. And it strikes me that that purgatory has that. It's just, it's, this is why I think it's just so bizarre people don't believe in this. It is so natural to, that whenever you enter the presence of, of someone who is above you or on a special occasion or a wedding, that it's you want to be presentable and you want to be fixed up and all this. And it just would not feel right to show up just as just as you come as just as you are, right? And for heaven, I think it's this it's gotta it just feels like to me the same thing. We don't know when we're going to die at any and if you'd ask me, am I ready now? I'm ready to desire it, but am I? So I'm. I'm. I'm I want. I want him. I want eternity with with Christ. Uh, and, but am I ready in the sense of like, do I? Would I feel comfortable with him right now? I sh- no, no, I don't. Not not really. I don't think I'm not ready for that. He's not. Now I know grace. Okay, you know it's it's not me. It's what it be Pelagians, this sort of thing. So it's cooperating. But it's still, it's, it's, it's about you being ready, I'm going to need his help, but it can't just be presto switcho, you know? I think there's got to be some attachments and some habits that have to be left. And I like that, that it would, feel, it would feel awkward to be in a wedding unprepared. I think it would feel awkward to be in heaven without having gone through some sort of preparation and final detachment. Friends, you're listening to God's Planning. We're chatting here about purgatory. We're sort of covering the 
The way you start the conversation, I begin by asking Father Bonaventure about what he thought as a Protestant. Um, we're going to take a short break, and when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about the biblical images for purgatory, uh, some, of the, some of the Catholic proofs, the evidences of purgatory, and maybe even get into indulgences. So we'll be back with you in just a moment. You are listening to Godsplaining. Visit us at godsplaining.org to listen to our episodes, shop our store, and donate to our podcast. All gifts go to improving the podcast and bringing the gospel to more listeners. Thanks for your support. Friends, thanks for tuning in. You're listening to Godsplaining, Father Bonaventure Chapman and Father Patrick Briscoe here chatting about purgatory. The Catechism says this. We haven't yet given a formal Mm. definition. The Catechism says that purgatory is a purification so as to achieve the holiness necessary to enter the joy of heaven. That was pretty good, Father Bonaventure. We got there. And that all of this is experienced by those who die in God's grace and friendship, but still imperfectly purified. We nailed it. That's all pretty good. Yeah, Yeah, look at that. Intuitive, see? Intuitive. Boom. Logic. Um, you, you would hope that a couple of priests would know about this stuff. Um, <laughs> what, one, yeah. of the, one of the images that, that's very common, um, some of the texts that are used by the church uh, to, to understand this doctrine, to fulfill it, to, to uh, present it, um, to, to clarify what it means, we have to, we have to talk about fire. Um, we have this idea of kind of purification by fire. This comes from mm-hmm. some, of the bi- some, some of the biblical texts. First Corinthians 3, 5, that kind of thing, yeah. First exactly. Peter or something, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, there's one there, um, gold tested by fire, right? I think that's the first Corinthians. Yep, that's anyway, um, so we so we have these we have these scriptural uh, the, we have these scriptural texts. We're talking about fire, about purification by fire, um, as precious metals uh, that are tried by fire. Uh, Father Bonaventure, how are the fires of purgatory different though from the fires of the damned? And I, I just want to re I want to rearticulate mm. why purgatory is different. From hell, from from a, the idea of a kind of everlasting um, separation yeah. from God, and and how the image of fire could be cleansing rather than tormenting. Mm, yeah, that's a great question. The answer is I don't know, um, but I'll give it a shot. Um, so, and that's never stopped we, us before. Never. Let's be before. honest. <laughs> I mean, part of it, I think we don't uh, we don't use fire to cleanse much stuff, at least in our daily life, I suppose today. So you're not, but fire does burn. I mean, it it does burn things off really well so it, now we use dishwashers and we have nice scrubbies and this kind of stuff so like you wouldn't grab a blowtorch and just you know up oh, time to do the dishes and you're time to do the silverware and just blowtorch those suckers um but fire fire consumes things that are not strong enough for it. now eventually like fire consumes mm. everything um but fire has this ability to consume without uh without you could say consuming things equivalently. It depends on what the things are. Um, right. So that you, if you're using fire to purify something off of metal or something, uh, then you, the fire will consume at a certain heat some parts, but you don't you won't do enough heat to actually melt the metal down. You could say so you're just trying to remove the imperfections from it. Um, and so fire has this kind of ability to to destroy imperfections. And I think that's that's the image that we want for purgatory is that it's not like it's not like soul fire you could say it's not it's not it tormenting our soul it's not fire hot enough to torment your soul but fire hot enough to to burn off you could say and torment the accidents 
the the tendencies, the habitual kind of stuff. This is all metaphorical, but you get you get my drift. Um, that it's 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 in a sense a surface cleansing, which of course in the surface analogy here, your your surface are your activities and all this sort of stuff. But it's not it's not designed to to, to burn you. It's designed to burn off the things that actually aren't really you, your attachments to sin, which are what are keeping you from being you. Whereas the fire in hell right. strikes me is about is about you. It's about yes. the suffering you. Now, the, so it's it's in a sense you could say fire in hell is hotter um, because it's something designed, or at least <laughs> designed is a silly, is a strange word for it. But at least it it is it has the capacity to 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 get you. That's it's because it's the lack of God, it's the absence of God, and that's how we could do hellfire as a different different episode, I suppose. What the heck's going on there? But I think the distinction's clear enough that the fire the fire for for purgatory is 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 cooler and it's designed not to burn you but the things that aren't you off. When I was um when I was uh, in the summer of my 8th grade year I was 14 I was going into high school I took this awesome trip with uh, a bunch of my best friends we went across the country hiking and backpacking and camping with a couple of our dads and we went to Yellowstone National Park. And at the time so this is years ago um 2002 or uh, and the park was 20 years beyond one of its worst forest fires, almost 20 years beyond one of its worst fires ever. And it was there surveying these like four foot tall pine trees that I understood for the first time that fire could be life giving because mm-hmm. I had always mm-hmm. in my life thought fire destroys uh, in an in an absolute way. Um, but then you realize in the life of the forest, the fire is necessary. Uh, because it perpetrates growth and change in the forest, so the fire, the the fire uh, clears out all the detritus and makes it such that that new that new life can be there in the forest. Um, so, you know, not that I think that purgatory is a forest fire, but I do, but I do think the the forest fire is a helpful image to show that like fire can give life too, not immediately, but it. Well, I think the um, other thing is is um, you know, fire is an act is an active thing. It's a it's an activity. And the fire, the fire of purgatory, I suppose, it's not like God zapping fire beams or something, but it's his love. It's an activity of him that, that we use the metaphor to describe as fire. So it's if, because fire has this like person, fire licks things. We have this personification mm-hmm. like fire is an activity that does stuff. Um, so it's his, it's, it's doing things and it's, it's a, it's an agent it's almost like living, like you have this living flame idea. You get the sense of like fire being alive. It's jumping around. We describe this way. And that's the, I think the, 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 it's, it's God who's doing this kind of cleansing for us. It just, we use the metaphor of fire because it describes both the activity of it, but also the cleansing pa- aspect of it. At least it did at the times. And, you know, some, perhaps we'll have to do some translation with the image as we move, we move farther and farther away from actual fire. But I don't think we'll move the fire just the people just like fire so I think it's it's a primordial element I don't think we have to worry right, about right. you know well, totally there translating are, there there are in the um in our tradition uh other images for purgatory um this one is more recent in Newman's extraordinarily beautiful poem The Dream of Gerontius yeah. he tells the story of a soul passing from a death the moment of death escorted by his guardian angel through his um, through his personal judgment, his first judgment before Christ, and onto uh, onto the angels relinquishing the soul um, as the soul goes forth to its final destination, and in that work, Newman envisages purgatory as a lake. So he has these mm-hmm. beautiful lines at the end of the poem, 
uh, where the angel takes the soul to the edge of the lake and sings to the soul, softly and gently, dearly ransomed soul, in my most loving arms I now enfold thee, and o'er the penal waters as they roll, I poise thee, and I lower thee, and I hold thee. And as he goes on continuing uh, continuing to talk about this image of the lake, uh, a subsequent stanza reads thus, Angels to whom the willing task is given shall tend and nurse and lull thee as thou liest, and masses on earth and prayers in heaven shall aid thee at the throne of the Most Highest. Mm-hmm. As it's very clear there that the image of the lake is purgatory and that the, the angels that other souls, that masses on earth, we, the pilgrim church, uh, uh, have the ability to impact the soul's cleansing. Um, and, the, the, and water there is, a, is, a kind of, is an absolute opposite image of fire. Mm, yeah, and it, but it's, it, it's nice there, the connection, though, with baptism, you could say, uh, that mm, the purgatory, right. purgatory, again, this is, a, this is in a sense, uh, it'd be odd if you didn't go to purgatory, you'd be a, you'd be a saint immediately. Um, but this is a natural in the way that it be it, it, that baptism is the normal is the normal way of of receiving grace. Purgatory, I suspect, is the normal way of receiving of re- being received into the kingdom of whatever however it takes it, um, and that they are related. They're connected, of course, in the same way that when John the Baptist says, "I baptize you with water," but the but the one coming after me will baptize you with water and fire, um, such that even in baptism it has this. You could say baptism looks like water, but has fire capacity to it. Um, the capabilities to it, and purgatory is fire, but it has the water, the cleansing uh, capabilities to it as well. They're connected they're, because they still wash. It's about wa- it's about cleaning. Um, I like the water metaphor too, though, because uh, it's like the waves kind of can you you can you can stir the waters, as it were. That if you had this image of people in purgatory being putting their own pools, and you know, just like if you go into a pool and with your with your nephews and nieces, and and you stir up the waters, and the waters right. kind of so so that the more people right. are praying, the more stirring up the waters is going, and the more the more cleansing. You could do that with like yeah. the more blow torches that people have, but I think it's easier with, wa- <laughs> yeah, with yeah, water. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that takes us to that takes us to the pool, uh, right? The pool, which is yeah. a Bethsaida or Siloam, which yeah. is the one, yep. yeah, where the yeah. pool is stirred up, uh, stirred uh, up, by and then the that's a chance for healing. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, so I like that. We, I like the have, little lapping the waves. Water and, that heals. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Um, now, uh, another uh, another important point that Newman makes, and which is a very ancient custom of the church, which I, which I think is worth bringing up, is the idea the idea of praying for souls, especially at the mass, is not new. And my favorite thing that I like to point people towards, uh, Father Bonaventure, is this line in Augustine's Confessions. Right, mm-hmm. as Monica is dying after they've shared together that beautiful vision at Ostia, she says to Augustine, "Right, I want you to do one thing: mm-hmm. remember me at the altar." Yes. So she so she tells Augustine yeah. to pray for her during Holy Mass, <laughs> and that it's yes. there, it's right there in the Confessions, and it's very ancient. I I wondered if there were any any other movements from the ancient Church or any other ways that um, maybe Catholic tradition has uh, encouraged you or things that you thought were notable about uh, about um, this idea that we're we're praying I mean, they, for the souls as they're being cleansed. It's it's for Dominicans in particular. It's a beautiful tradition because we. We we pray mm. for our brothers in the before before our, our evening meal. Almost always we pray with the De Profundis, so it's Psalm one thirty. When um, we pray for the the souls of of our faithful, we read the names of our of the Dominicans who have passed on that day, and then we pray for them. 
and and we do this, of course, November is the month of this. That the the dead, you know, and this, we always and we end prayers with the souls of the faithful departed. May they rest in peace. And this, in a sense, we're always shooting up prayers to the dead, the church, you know, the church suffering, uh, and and we just forget it. We just I think we forget about it, but we're still in contact with them. So once you're when you're a Catholic, like I mean, as, as a Protestant, even if you believe in purgatory, you generally believe it as kind of a thing which is true uh, and might be scriptural in this. But as a Catholic, it's not just a mental, as you say, a knowledge kind of a piece of a, a nugget of, of wisdom or truth, but it's a practice uh, that we're just inundated with it because why? Because Christ came to save and he came to use instruments rational instruments for salvation he likes that apparently he likes to help have the saints do things and he likes us <laughs> to be able to participate in helping others he doesn't have to do it he can do whatever he wants but he likes to do it through others and 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 he likes, he likes to be part of a team i guess even though he's the captain and kind of also the director metaphors are just exploding all over the place but that's when you talk about god and how god works in the world i'm sorry they're just no go- it's it's Susie Jones. Well, I'm just gonna, like yeah, to I've got to, I've got to step in and save us all from that. Um, Father Bonaventure was unwilling to indulge me tonight, so no indulgence talk. Uh, oh, you wanted me to talk about indulgences? <laughs> no, no, we're gonna save that for a future episode. So okay, I'm just gonna drop that's great. That and leave, leave the listeners that tuned in wanting to think about that uh, to hang on for a future time, so we can think about indulgences later. Uh, thanks to everyone who tuned in today to listen as we uh, bantered a little bit and thought through um, purgatory. We hope that this episode was helpful to you and that. It might be worth passing on to someone else and then it can help think about these things. We encourage you to pray for our beloved dead. Pray for them and ask their prayers in turn for us. Um, thanks to all who support the podcast. We especially appreciate our Patreon supporters. Know of our prayers for you, our listeners, and we ask that you would remember us in turn. God bless. Thanks for listening to God's Planning, a work of the Dominican Friars of the province of St. Joseph. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Leave a review on your podcast app and visit us at godsplaining.org.